Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have Lowry with us. He's a YouTuber and entrepreneur. I'm really excited to have him on. Lowry, introduce yourself to the crowd. Yeah, I'm YouTuber from Finland. I have been doing YouTube as in my main job now four years, and we do quite a lot of other things also. It's like, it's so much it's hard to like explain. And uh, maybe you can tell the viewers what kind of YouTube channel you run because um, I obviously it's one of my guilty pleasures as well. But uh, it's getting crazy amounts of views for kind of what it is. So I would love to hear kind of the history behind it, what you actually do, how you discovered it, and how you thought it could be interesting for people to watch on YouTube. Uh, yeah, our like main channel and the channel that we made first, it's Hydraulic Press channel. So it's just crushing things with Hydraulic Press. And it's it's been pretty much the same thing for the whole four years that we have been doing it. And then after that we have launched other channels, but the press channel is still like the main thing for us. And it's, I think it's about 80% of YouTube views that we get out from the press channel. And then we have bit like Mythbusters type of channel where we explore stuff and build interesting machines and then we have also a vlog channel but mainly 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 pressing that's the that's our like uh, main business so i read somewhere that you have a factory is that where the hydraulic press is located or how did you get to the hydraulic press and i guess the first question that i might maybe have is how did you get the idea to put something in the press and record it on YouTube and put it on. Yeah, we have, actually we are now moving, but our uh, old house is just next to our family's uh, metal workshop. I wouldn't say that it's a factory. It's like, there's like four workers, but like small factory. And I have been working there all my life. And I have been also like dreaming about other business adventures aside like to like company the workshop thing and I had long long time dream to make YouTube channel and I thought that I should probably make some kind of powerlifting channel but I thought that my English skills are not enough for like expert channel like that but then I saw a bit similar videos it's channel called Cars and Butter and he had video series where he put like red hot nickel ball on top of things and then it's like sometimes it melts the ice or something happens or something doesn't happen. But the, I just realized that all the videos have like millions of views and they seem like they are really easy to make. So I said to my wife, Annie, that, hey, we are going to do some kind of YouTube channel a bit like this. And then I said that there is so many machines and interesting things on the metal workshop. Just let's pick one of those and start throwing stuff there and what's going to happen and we we like thought about many machines but then we agreed that the hydraulic press that's the like you just put something there pull from the lever and every time something is going to happen and we made like it was 2016 we made like five videos and nobody watched them and then we thought that, okay, maybe it wasn't a good idea. And we took like a couple months off, but then it just went viral and we have been doing that 
every day after that. Um, okay, a couple of things to unpack there. I, I want to also cover maybe the powerlifting part. Uh, but now that we're on this thread, um, quickly. So you shot five videos, um, and then you like how many months did you take off, and how did things go viral? What happened? It was like it was about four months, because we 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 tend, we used to have the system where we like try a lot of things, like just try fast something will it work or will it not work, and I think we didn't put enough time to eat all the things so. Our trying out wasn't like good enough, and with the YouTube, it was the same thing. We thought that if you just upload videos to YouTube, people are going to watch it, but it's not going to work like that. So we didn't promote the channel by any by any means, and because of that, they got only like 25 views. And after four four months, somebody did the thing that I should done myself on the beginning, and post the videos to Reddit, and it was the paper folding video where we tried how many times you can fold paper with hydraulic press. That went like stupidly viral on Reddit. And Reddit poured a lot of traffic to YouTube. And then on that time, YouTube used to work in a way that if you get like, let's say, 100,000 views from outside of the platform, it thinks that the video is really good and throws like million more views. So we get like 200,000 clicks from Reddit and then 2 million from YouTube in one day. And we realized on the morning that the channel is picking up because I got emails that people want to buy my video. And then on the evening already we made like new video for the channel. And it was like really trending topic for like two or three months. Everything that we posted got like 2 million views at least. But so somebody else promoted your video on Reddit and then suddenly yeah. it picked up? Yeah, yeah. Somebody posted it on the uh, r slash videos on Reddit. I don't... I have seen the post. I think you can find it still. I don't remember what it said, but something just like check out this small interesting channel crossing things with the press. And people found, found it really, really funny on Reddit and it took off. And then... And then I think the Reddit community was super pleased that they like uh, get us doing more videos because we haven't done any videos in like four months at that point. And then after one Reddit post, we did like we did like five videos per week on the first two months. And so oh, maybe something interesting that you mentioned is I would have done it differently now that I know. So what is it that you know that you now do differently when posting videos? Yeah, if you post on YouTube, it, in YouTube it's quite easy to get a lot of views. It's a good place to grow your brand. But you have to have like, let's say, 1,000 subscribers to get it going. So I would try to post it on some forum or then just buy views on YouTube. Like use YouTube ads to promote your video. Or something, you have to do something to get those first 1,000 people there. And then it starts to go. But if you just upload something and don't do anything, then it's it just sits there and nobody's going to watch it never. So what, what do you mean do YouTube ads to, to watch the videos? Can you explain that process? Yeah, you can. If you upload YouTube video to a new channel and there isn't any views, 
you can just buy YouTube ads for that video. You can, I think the best way, I don't remember what is the correct like term for that type of advertising. I think it was something like discover ads or something like that. Okay, discover so, ads, yeah. Yeah, so you can make your video appear on like searches and somewhere else for people that might found it in- interesting. So if it's not like good video for YouTube algorithm yet, because there isn't any data to show that it's good, then you can like kickstart it with some small amount of money to make it like start getting some views. And then if it's good, then it should like take off from there pretty easily. But wait, so um, what is maybe a lot of people listening in? Um, I know that you do that also for other brands I've read. But so what amount of budgets are we speaking of when it's a new channel, they want to grow? We have a ton of startups as well who want to grow their digital presence. So what do they actually do? They obviously they get the discover ads, which, you know, you can Google. That's a pretty easy process. But how much budget do you pour into it? When is it enough? When do you stop and YouTube takes over? Can you shed some light on on those statistics? It's hard to say. We are just actually trying it out because we launched three new channels. They're like translated channels. So it's the same content, but different language. And first I thought that I can just like get viewers from main channel to the new channels, but it doesn't work like that because the people that are watching the main channel, they want to consume content in English. So they're not the right people for the new channel. So I'm at the moment I'm running like paid ads for the new channels and I don't actually even remember what what it costs but it varies a lot on the like what kind of people you want to reach out is is it like uh, people in like western countries or some like uh, other countries that might have lower like income level that affects a lot and also the subject, if you want to reach, for example, people that are interested on uh, stuff like investing, then it's much more expensive than reaching people that are interested, let's say dogs. It varies a lot by subject. And one thing that I found really, it works really well on our uh, Russian language channel. I run ads for people that watch one channel, which is in Russian, and it's a bit similar to my channel. So you can like pick channels that are similar than the channel that you are trying to get started and target those people. So I, I found that's, that's pretty good because the Russian channel is doing much, much better than our Spanish and Japanese channels. And I think that's because I have so good tar- targeting method there. You're, um, yeah, you're covering a lot. Maybe uh, one last question on that. So budget-wise, you didn't really answer that. So are we talking like 100 euros, 1,000 yeah. euros? No, I'm, I'm running like 20 euros at the moment. I have been doing it like one month because I want to learn how to run ads in the best way possible. And now I have... 20, used 20 like euros a day, right? A day, a day, yeah. yeah. And... So if I have been running it like three weeks, I have now thousand subscribers on the Russian channel, which is already like pretty good. I think it's good start to grow without ads pretty soon from that mark. 
So and it's like why not 10 euros or 5 euros and also why not 50 or 100 euros? Uh I just pick something that felt like I have like budget for the project and I thought that how much I should use on promotion uh, compared to like translation expenses and stuff like that so it felt pretty good but now when I know that it works I might increase that even if, if it keeps working so well but I think after you have like 5000 subscribers it probably has enough enough like data so you can start to optimize your content and check out how people are clicking it and how long they are watching because it's really hard to make good youtube channel if you have so little viewers that you don't get enough feedback for the like how you should promote your videos and what length and style they should be true and then maybe another question so when you run this and you start the new youtube channel and then you run discovery ads um is it um not is it not maybe smarter to run it towards sales or do you find that when you run discover ads somehow you tend to get some type of selling because obviously from a business perspective uh there's you know the trend and, and you learn when you google things that you have to create some type of sales funnel before you launch something because when you run ads and they don't go towards sales then you just lose money so what is your take on that uh I actually got got like recommendation to run ads in this way from YouTube and I talk about launching the new channels and I think the reasoning is that when you run discover ads it's not so forced to people than just running like different types of ads it's like looks almost like it's just something that YouTube recommends and it's closer to normal like viewing experience for the channel than running different types of ads yeah yeah i like that um yeah so i want to go deeper into this but later because i want to create some context i learned from stories a lot um and i want to kind of hear where you came from and how you ended up being you know having these type of conversations very analytical cracking youtube you mentioned you always wanted to be a YouTuber, if, if I recall correctly, yeah. but you didn't start off as a YouTuber. I saw um, in your past that obviously you studied um, um, hydraulics um, and so you know how to operate the hydraulic press, obviously, but you were also a trucker, if I'm correct. Yeah, I have. I worked actually one summer as a trucker. I have. I got a truck driving license from the army. When I served in the Finnish army, I got like the license to drive like really large truck with the large trailer. So I used that one summer. It was like summer job. And but most of the summers and like all my life, I have been working on the workshop. And we have our the workshop that we have. It's like it's quite rare. It's a bit like old school workshop. If you have something that is broken, you can just take the like broken part give it to us and we make new part without any pictures or anything. It's like something that you learn only by like experience. So I have like, I started when I was 15 years old. So I have 17 years of work experience on that. 
So that's something that really few people have nowadays. And then after army, I went to university to study the hydraulics and automation. And the thing about automation is that it's really hard. It's the one of the hardest subjects that you can study. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny because it's so hard that nobody wants to study it. And because of that, it's really easy to get in. So it's like easiest to get in, but hardest to study. So what do you mean with automation though? Yeah, like, like, uh, digital systems and like how you fine tune, like, for example, if you want to do some like industrial machine that performs some like movement really precisely, you, there is a lot of math behind, behind how you should tune the like feedback loops and stuff like that. It's, it's really complicated when you try to do it from the like beginning to end the whole thing by yourself. But because the automation studies were so like hard and difficult and unmotivating most of the time, I end up choosing a lot of courses that are like more interesting. So I end up studying actually more uh, business and marketing during my university studies than actual automation, because I always took like eight courses for one period. And then I found out that, oh no, I have too much work. What should I drop? Okay, let's drop that math course. It's, it's not going very well. And let's continue at this marketing and business studies. So I, I end up studying quite much of that, which is also, it's like, it has been really good combination for a small company where we, we don't have any other full-time employees than my, me and my wife. So it's, I do like work of like 10 people, different like tasks. So it has been really like good thing that I had the really confusing background as in like this one, one half of mechanic and one half of like business last marketing guy. And so you, in, how did you get this business? Did you start this business? Did you inherit this business? How did you start making these? Well, you make parts, I'm assuming that's what you said, yeah. right? Yeah, it's my uh, grandfather started it and it's now my dad's company and I think it's going to turn some, some kind of YouTube company. But it's interesting because it started as like just like man with a hammer and doing like small sheet metal parts and almost like blacksmith type of stuff. And then my dad turned it to into machining business with the like large CNC milling machine and lathes. So now it seems like it's going to be transformed once again when I, <laughs> when I take over. So with every generation, there is new technology being introduced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it seems also that uh, every generation is like, uh, I, I would say not, not maybe better business, but like uh, more in the, in the time because the blacksmith business wouldn't like been feasible for the last 30 years. And also the machining business, it starts to be quite hard to keep up nowadays. It's like the margins are really, really small, small and everything has to work like really well to make any money. How did, uh, how did your granddad deal with um, the innovation that your dad brought and how did your dad deal with the innovation that you brought? Mm. 
I think my grandfather was pretty pleased on most of the stuff. It was okay to get new things, but it was really hard to like get rid of the old things. And I think now we are running, we have now, I have my own company for the media things and the workshop company is doing just workshop business. And I think my dad, it's like, I think it's pretty okay for him, our media business. We are bringing more work to workshop business also because the workshop is building stuff for our videos also. So we are kind of the media media company's uh, customer for the workshop company. What do you think will be then the future for the next generation? If you kind of like look at where technology is going? It's hard to say. It's, it's pretty long time still. So it's like, it's so long in the future that it's hard to say. I would say that probably the next, 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 next phase is not going to have anything physical happening anymore. It's some kind of fully digi digital thing. So like 3D printing or something like that, or creating the, the... I would say that maybe 3D printing, but mostly the work is done by just with computers inside of the cloud and nothing like actually is happening here. I think it's something like that. I. So, so you think um, that for instance, let's say you have a son who takes over uh, the business, he will be more of a designer in the cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just getting ideas and designing things with the computer, something like that. How interesting that um, kind of the legacy jobs like blacksmith, blacksmiths are transforming into a more, a, a, a blacksmith, I guess, is a middle-aged designer. Yeah. And it's now being translated into this, you know, modern age designer. Yeah. Or then, or then it could go also backwards if the, because I think while the like uh, income of people keeps rising and like level, like the quality of living, I think people are going to have more money to use on like traditional things. So it might be that the next generation is going to start from the blacks, return to blacksmithing also what? that what's uh what's it been like being part of a family business that's now three generations mm, i think it especially now when it used to be much simpler when i was just working on the workshop it looks like really simple and like good future just keep doing what you are doing but then when the youtube started and it was like too fun and too good opportunity not to go like full in here it's now it's been like a bit difficult because I have been doing YouTube videos and my dad is that is over 60 years old so he can keep going forever there so I have felt a bit of pressure that that what is going to happen for the workshop if I just keep doing YouTube business because it's like it would be like my duty to continue that and but now it looks that the YouTube business is it's doing pretty nicely and growing all the time. So I think we can just take the workshop to be like working under the YouTube thing completely and keep it running like the same buildings and machines just like before. So pretty much you would be the sole client of the workshop now. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with the 
because you covered something really interesting that not many people in family businesses cover, but obviously you say there is this pressure, you know, your, your dad had this business, your granddad had this business, and you feel this pressure that as your dad grows older that you will take over. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more how you dealt with this, how you accepted to move on to YouTube, and could you go a bit deeper into that? Yeah, and I think it's, and it's, I think the fact that make it even like worse on my part was the thing that I, I have already put the 17 years in there, so everybody like thinks that of course, I'm going to continue the workshop. I think it isn't so bad if you are just like like 20 years old and never worked there and then people might think that maybe you are going to take over that or maybe not. But when it was already like so clear that okay, Laura is going to continue at that and everything is going to go really smoothly and then I jump out from that train to start this completely new and almost unrelated YouTube thing that goes like much better than the workshop. But but it's it's been like last this the last like six months we realized that, that how we can like replace the workshop business with the YouTube business and like keep the same building and machines and stuff like that. So what were these realizations that you were uh, mainly like just like economical things that it's quite large building and expensive machines. If we wouldn't make enough like yearly revenue, then we couldn't pay the like expenses for the building and it wouldn't make any sense to have so large building. So because we have been able to grow every year, now we are on the level that it makes completely sense to just take over that when the time comes. So can I ask how big this factory workshop building is? Uh, it's like maybe 500 square meters or something like that. And the machines inside of it, you cannot host, I know, in a garage or something at home? No, no, no. There's, I think, I think if we just, after the, like, if we, if we move the whole YouTube thing there, we don't need all the machines, but there is like, for example, CNC lathe that is like 10 meters long and weighs like 40 tons. Oh, wow. So you need some uh, special probably floors and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and like even the parts that we work on, they can weigh like five tons. So it's, it's like pretty good sized things going on there. So can you um, then continue more with the story and also maybe cover the part where you said you always wanted to be a YouTuber? Did you always, always want to be a YouTuber? Like before you studied as well? Or how did this go into your it's, mind? I would say that I would, I think I got the idea about like eight years ago when me, me and my wife started to do powerlifting. And we have always like one thing on our lives that it's like we use way too much time on one thing. And on that point, it was powerlifting. And of course, when you are using like way too much time on some things, then you are going to start to watch like uh, related YouTube content. And I watched so many like powerlifting channels and I thought that that's, that's look so fun. I wouldn't like even need to make any money from that. It would be just so funny to have like own powerlifting channel and it would like help, help me get motivated to do my training when I would like update the channel about my things and test different things and stuff like that but I 
felt for some reason that doing YouTube channel in Finnish wouldn't be enough, so it has would have to be in English. And I thought that my English skills weren't on that level that I could like do powerlifting channel that is mainly well, me speaking. Why was Finnish not enough? Why not your native tongue? You would think, you know, Finland's, I mean, it's not super big, but it's big enough. So why wouldn't you just go in your own native language to have less competition? It's it's interesting. I haven't thought that so much. Maybe because all the channels that I watched were in English. And also... And also the YouTube scene in Finland was super small then. There were like, I think the biggest channel have like 50,000 subs or something like that. Finland is quite small country, there's only 5 million people, so... And powerlifting wasn't that popular uh, subject back in then. So Finnish powerlifting channels eight years ago, I think like couple thousand subscribers would be the level that you could reach. And I, I, and when we started also the press channel, my goal was to get 100,000 subs and make it gen maybe generate like uh, 500 euros per month, like some extra money. So I think I had like, I felt that I need to reach like, it has to be some size channel to make any sense. And I felt that Finnish isn't like enough and English is too hard at that point. Because if you watch the first press videos, it's it's pretty rough, the language. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw. So what has changed since those first videos? Well, how has your English improved? What new ventures have you been doing? And um, yeah, the English is in interesting. People always like ask where I have learned English and quite many things. They just learn it in schools. They teach it quite a lot, but uh, I wasn't paying that much attention in elementary school. So I didn't learn any English at school. And I learned my English just from video games and watching TV series. <laughs> and the, and <laughs> the problem with that approach is that you don't speak yourself at all. So I had like really good, like I, I knew all the words and I understand everything really well, but I haven't just talked myself at all. So that makes the like accent really thick, but I can still like manage it. I can like transform, but I'm transfer the message that I try to convey. And now when I have been doing the videos and streaming and we have a lot of like English speaking friends. I just have sp spoken much more, but I think the accent is just kind of part of our brand. So I haven't used too much focus on getting rid of that. I think it's like, because when we started the channel, I watched the, it's FPS Russia. It's like Khan channel. It's guy from United States but he fakes this Russian accent to make it more fun. <laughs> and he was the largest gun channel in YouTube many years. And I thought that if, if he makes the accent work, then I can also, because our like, uh, we had like picture for the press channel that people should like have in their head when they watch it. And the picture was that uh, drunken Russian guy in like barn crossing things. So it should look like a bit crappy and be like really like rough. it should yeah. rough and i think i think that was like good story and it clearly worked but w your background is fully finished or what's your yeah, background yeah fully finished and actually the uh our 
uh, surname Vuohensilta. It's local name. There used to be uh, like small farm called Vuohensilta about 500 kilometers from the work. 500 meters, not kilometers. 500 meters from the workshop like 200 years ago. So we have been on the exactly same spot for hundreds of years. And any time on any plans on moving away from that spot? Yeah, we are actually moving right now we, because we are doing a lot of outdoor filming for the second channel that we would really like to grow. I think we have now made some like really good improvements on that channel and it's starting to grow now pretty well. And the problem has been that we have to drive one hour every time that we want to film something. We have been filming on my uh, wife's family farm, like one hour away from here. And now we bought new house for ourselves and it's about 25 minutes from here. And it's just outside of the city, so you can like... It's like place if you shoot with shotgun on your yard, nobody's going to call police. So we can do quite, <laughs> we can do quite a lot of interesting things there. Maybe not explore anything with dynamite, but almost everything else we can film there. But so, what is this new channel then about? It's uh, it's called Beyond the Press, and we have had it like three years, and I would say that it's 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 changed a little bit through the times, but now it's like Mythbusters, the TV show, yeah. without any myths. So I can just get as stupid as possible idea, and then we are going to do it. So it doesn't have to like uh, be based on any story, so we are even like more free to try things. So it's you and your wife? Yeah, mainly, and then we have our like friend who has like explosion permits and some different quests now and then, but mainly me and my wife. Wait, so your friend has explos an explosive permit? How how does that work in Finland? You have to just go to go, like study. It takes like a couple of weeks and then you get nice paper that says that you are allowed to explode things and then you can buy like explosives and explode stuff. <laughs> so. Uh, is that the same with guns as well? How does it work in Finland? Uh, it's, guns are... Okay, the explosives are pretty easy on Finland. And it's also... Because we don't have any history of any like bad things happening with explosives here. It's quite free. As long as you have paperwork, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And even if you do something that it's bit like explosives and you don't have any paperwork and you do some like explosion related crime that's like 500 euro fine in Finland where it's like 10 years in prison in the States. So explosives are quite free in Finland as long as you don't make too much sound. The sound is like main problem. If you have like, if you keep making too much sound and your neighbors are angry, then you are in problems. But otherwise it's pretty free. And then the guns, They are also, it's, it's quite easy to get in Finland. You have to just have like real reason to have gun and like trying to shoot fellow people isn't like good reason. So you, <laughs> you, you can't say that I need gun to protect my home. But if you hunt or do target practicing, then you can get gun. And, it's and what about having a YouTube channel where you want to experiment with guns and explosives or whatever? <laughs> 
Yeah, for for explosive, as long as you have just you have to just study how to use them safely and get the paperwork. That's like that's relatively easy. And then the I have actually think about that because the gun law it says that if you need gun for your work, that's like good reason. So I think somebody just should try to make like like paperwork that I need this like 50 cal machine gun. I, I'm going to shoot some watermelons with on my YouTube videos and <laughs> see what, what they're going to say. I think I think it wouldn't go through. Probably not. But what if you have, do you have slow motion cameras? I can imagine if you would have slow motion. Yeah. Because right now you've been doing the hydraulic press, right? And, and yeah. all of those stuff. And I'm assuming that's time lapsed or like sometimes you go a little bit faster but maybe you can do the other way, which is, you know, get slow motion cameras and then do things on the new channel where you go really fast, like bullets or bows or yeah, yeah, we, we have Yeah, we have done slow motion stuff quite a lot. I have three high speed cameras. Which cameras do you use? Uh, we are working with it's uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's startup anymore, but it's. I think it's four years old company called Cron Technologies. They are from Canada and they make uh, Kronos high speed cameras. And we actually promoted one their first camera on Kickstarter when they started. So we have two of those. It's like a bit cheaper high speed camera. Can I, can I ask what the price is of something like that? It's the first model is $3,000 and it's like. You can't film like movies with that. It's not like that quality camera, but for YouTube and science stuff, it's like good enough and it's really easy to use. So we have been using those almost every week. And then they launched new, uh, this year they launched a new camera, which is the same frame and everything. It's just better sensor. So it's full HD camera. And that's, I think it was $5,000. And how, that's, many, how many frames per second does it shoot? Uh, full HD with the full laser resolution, it's 1000 frames per second. Wow. And then if you go, let's say 800 times 600 pixels, then it's something like 4000. Wow. And, and so, we had, yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah, and we had, we had the, it was one year ago, we had super interesting project. They made just as unlike thought experience. They made system where they had uh, 72 of the cameras in ring formation. And then they made a clever program that allows the cameras take pictures like after each other. So first one camera takes picture, then the second and so on. So you can multiply the speed of one camera by amount of the cameras that you have. And when you have 72 cameras, you can film quite fast. And we had the system here in Finland for three weeks. And with that system, we can film one million frames per second. Jesus. So, so many questions pop up. So with a million frames per second, how is the editing process then? Uh, the editing process is nightmare because <laughs> all the cameras, they save the stuff that they film. They save it to one server as an in just like pictures, not video pictures. And then you have to make this really clever code that is going to choose the right pictures and make them on the right order. And then also stabilize it because it's really hard to line all the cameras exactly the same way. 
and then you can decide where you're going to film. You can put all the cameras take pictures at the, like one time, or then you can put one virtual camera to spin there, like the cameras take pictures after each other, or then you can have like four virtual cameras spinning there, so four cameras spinning at the same time, and then you can later choose which of the virtual cameras are you going to use. And it's, it, there was some like really interesting numbers running that, because the like virtual camera that's spinning there, it's spinning, if, it, if it's going, if it's doing one million frames per second, and we had it on one point as an outdoor rig with 50 meter diameter, I calculated that the speed of the virtual camera was something like 5% of speed of light. So it was it was moving much faster than anything that pe- people have ever done. It, it's 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 That's crazy. Yeah. So you could use this for really scientific types of purposes as well. I can yeah, imagine yeah. in Finland they don't have access to that type of cameras everywhere in scientific laboratories. Yeah. Yeah, and we actually did by accident on one one video we made. Uh, soap bubbles with this gas mixer that is really explosive and we exploded the gas bubbles and filmed that with I think 300,000 frames per second and we managed to capture one on one clip there was moment where the gas first burns and then it starts to explode and the transformation from burning to exploding it's really interesting for some like uh, engine research or something like that and people say that we make accidentally science by just exploding stuff for fun <laughs> really yeah so, but the, yeah sorry yeah the company the cron uh, technologies they have sold one system like that to some university that are studying how bats fly because you can make like 3d model high speed 3d model from the data that the cameras capture so it's good for that kind of stuff um man so interesting but we have to move on to the next topic um what has been changed for you um in the four years since you launched youtube can you maybe also shape the process of you know the four months when you first went viral um you obviously have a very business uh, mind related to this how did you handle going viral how did you scale obviously you diversified your assets as well can you go more into the business nitty-gritty of you you know going viral and then what happened yeah the when we went viral with the first video i i just i ha, i didn't do any any like studies about what what views mean in terms of money i i thought that it's going to be a slow process to get in the place where we earn anything. So I had no idea what, what like I'm going to earn with the videos and what everything is worth. So only thing that I start thought on the beginning that it's it's not going to probably last very long. So I have to monetize this fast. So I got pretty good like uh, offer for licensing the paper folding video. That was the first thing that I did. And after can you that, go, can you go into more details how that deal came about and, and how does licensing work exactly? Yeah, there, there is like companies that license viral videos and 
I got like many many offers that we want to buy this video, like five companies, and I competed the companies against each other to get the best deal. And the idea is that the, because okay, the our video didn't end up being like super popular for like TV shows and stuff like that, so we didn't end up making a huge amount of money for that. But usually if you have some like viral video and all the news stations want that and you have no idea what you are doing, then it's easier to outsource the like selling of the video rights to one company. And there is a lot of those. And if you make video viral video, they are going to send email to you. So they are going to take like small cut from the revenue that they are able to make by selling the video to like TV stations and stuff like that. So, oh, we, so they're not getting the revenue from your YouTube ads. They're getting revenue from the sales they make themselves. It, it depends on the company. Some companies want also the YouTube revenue, but that might be also good, especially nowadays when uh, content gets stolen so much, because if they have the rights to YouTube video, then, then they can do the copyright claims and stuff like that, take care of that also. And also nowadays, if you have like new channel and not huge amount of views, you can't even run ads there. So if you sell the video rights, I think they can run ads on the your video, even if it, if you are don't have AdSense account yet. So it might be like good idea now, even more than it used to be back in then. I'm I, I have, I'm not sure I haven't haven't had need to do any more of those. But after that. I soon realized that this is like way too much for me to like business side. So I need some kind of like manager and multi-channel networks that are basically managers for YouTube channel were like really popular back in then. And I got also a huge amount of like offers that come join us, our network. But I felt that my English skills, especially for like legal stuff that was wasn't like up to that level that I can like check that is this good partner for me and also doing business like to other side of the world felt pretty demanding. So I end up uh, choosing Finnish multi-channel network and they they did pretty much all of our like YouTube business things like all the sponsored videos and stuff like that for, for first year and that was super good because then I like learned that okay you can get this 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 amount of money for this kind of stuff and this is how you should ne like talk with the companies and customers and stuff like that so that was super useful to, for the first year but then then after the, like the first year we realized that we have so weird channel and all the customers are a bit weird also so they don't have that much of like uh knowledge how to work with channel like ours so then i just took over of the like whole sales and the business side of the youtube after the first year and so what what did you do differently then i basically because before the whole youtube thing if i would get offered that hey can you promote this thing on your youtube video how much it would be can you do it like for hundred euros or something like that I thought holy shit hundred euros that's pretty good let, <laughs> let let's do it but 
it's it's turns out that it's uh, worth of bit more than hundred euros to like get like stuff promoted for one million people. Can, can you like shed that. a light on the like how much it should cost? You don't have to say exact numbers, but yeah. like the range. Yeah, yeah, it it depends quite a lot of like again on the content and who is watching. There is basically two sides. There's who is watching, and the like. I think rough like rule is that the more money your viewers have and spend, the better. So, like rich people on rich countries better than some like less rich people on poorer country. And then, if if you are like. I would say that, especially on the press channel, we are more content creators than influencers. So we create the content and people watch it. And there is like, they watch the video and pay attention to video, but they are not interested of what shampoo I use or what car I drive. <laughs> so I'm not like, on the press channel, I'm not influencer in that sense. So... If you are, if you if you manage to create like good branded, you are like truly influencer. Then you can get much more money. But I would say that if you are not influencer and you average like half a million views, then you can get from. If you do like sponsored video where you promote some like VPN service or website builder or something like that, you can get probably from like thousand to ten thousand euros depending on the subject of the channel but then if you are like influencer and have a bit more views i think if you are averaging like two million views and you are like influencer doing some vlogs i think you can get like forty thousand euros per one video or something like that so it's it's huge pump on the cost when you are like more influencer than content creator yeah, yeah, makes sense also, and thank you for sharing because it's it's always like confusing when you Google these things, and yeah. I'm pretty sure this can be quite valuable. Um, as also in the past, um, things have gone viral within our community. Startups, you know, press picks up on them, and things go crazy. Kickstarters go crazy, and then you don't really know uh, where to go from there. I think I would I would also like to maybe shed a little bit of light on. You know, sponsorships. The first year you had the multi-channel network. Um, What did that give you? Did that give you just like the insight on how the industry works? And then after one year, you were like, okay, I get it. I can do it myself now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much that. And it was, I think it was also a bit like learning experience for them because we were like the first large international channel for them. They mainly run like just... Finnish channels, so I think it was we were like a bit like interesting project for also them. Did you find that they were a little bit confused as to how you how to handle you because obviously you guys were growing so big compared to their other channels? Yeah, and also because the like subject and the audience was so different, and also the customers. Okay, and the first year was interesting because we were like super, super big thing in Finland. So I think maybe even not all the sponsored videos didn't make even sense in business side. I think companies just wanted to like try something new and work with this new interesting thing. Yeah, makes sense. 
Okay, and then, so that was the first year. What did you then start doing differently um, in the second year regarding sponsored content? So did you start reaching out to brands or what did you start doing yourself? No, we have had this super interesting sales sales strategy, which is probably like against everything that that people promote and you should do. We have to think that we only do our own thing, make good videos and... Then the email box is completely full at all the time. So we just wait that companies send email to us and <laughs> then we negotiate with the then we get the right price and everything like that. But it's it's the sales part has been super easy. You don't basically have to do anything. Email just comes. What do you think triggers so obviously you probably have a formula going on in your head where it's like, okay, I think this would allow us to get emails in from companies what, what is happening in your head thinking okay this video might give me um these companies to email me or something like that what, what goes through your mind when no it's it's basically just two things we want to keep sure that uh, the videos don't look like we are going to like die when filming those and i don't swear too much it's like brand safe content and then just make sure that it gets huge amount of views just those two things and you are going to get some email. So pretty much brand safe. Um, so yeah. What do you say? Don't swear too much. So you do swear in them or. Yeah. Yeah. You can swear like some amount. And I think some, I would say that all the brands that we work with, if you watch other, other channels that they sponsor also, it's, it's like the language can be pretty rough and they don't care. It's like, it's like companies that understand that that you can promote your service with like creator that is like real 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 people and swears and do like some stupid stuff sometimes and it's people can under, understand that that's the content creator and it's different thing than the company and the product and and so and the second thing is getting a ton of views so yeah. the ton of views, you have a couple of new channels, you said. Can you go into the mechanics of getting a ton of views? How, how does that work when you or, or your wife, you guys come together and brainstorm? Well, take us through that process. No, From the like, idea to setting up the ads and stuff like that. Yeah, the, like getting the idea is the most important part and we use the most amount of time on that. It's like, there is, I always say that there is like at least 500 ideas. There, I have to just get them. There is at least 500 things that I can do in, I can go to workshop, use four hours, come out from there with memory card that has stuff that is going to get 10 million views. You have to just get the ideas. And it's sometimes it's, it's after like five years it starts to be really hard and you have to use huge amount of time and it's also a combination like wait getting... so it gets harder not easier yeah because we always like we use the easiest ideas all the time it's like it's pretty easy to think that hey let's throw like bearing pole there and it's going to explode and look super dangerous and people want to see that but after that's done then you have to come up more as good ideas and right. it's like it's it gets harder and it's also 
there is like lot of good ideas that would get lot of views, but the amount of work that you have to put in to make it safe is so much that it's maybe doesn't make sense in business side. So what do you mean doesn't make sense in business side? Like, um, like for example, if we would like, for example, I have like uh, some like interesting metals that I would like to crush, but they are toxic. So I would have to like build like special thing to suck the fume away and get the things to recycling center and do like huge amount of safety planning and then buy expensive materials and use huge amount of time on yeah, making the videos. So it's sense. like, and it's so always, the idea brainstorming process, can you shed some light into, is it just you going to the workshop or is it you and your wife over there? There is like, there is, there is, I would say that there's three ways to getting the ideas. One is just, I get the idea in my own head. Maybe after like watching some other YouTube channels or just like looking something outside of the, like in the store or at the workshop, just me getting ideas. Then second is our viewers recommending something. Can you crush this or could you crush that? And then the third, and I think quite many like really good ideas are made in this way that I have maybe some kind of idea. And then I say to my wife that this could be a good video. And then my wife says that, how about if, for example, if I say that, what would be a good example? If I say that, for example, let's crush like, like toy car, that, that might be a good idea. And then my wife says, yeah, sounds fun, but why, why not to crush the like real car, the whole car? And it's usually my wife says something that it's, it's so far away from something that is possible that I wouldn't come up with that idea. But because my wife isn't so like technically minded, he doesn't have the like restrictions in her head that limits the idea. So she can get like stupider idea than is possible to do. And then I start to think what it would take to crush actually the whole car. <laughs> and then, then we found some, some way to actually do the idea that my wife got. But it's, it's super helpful to have somebody that is, doesn't know too much about the subject when getting ideas. Because sometimes it's, if you know everything, I've, I've thought a lot of like related things, then you usually are a bit limited on your creativity. If, if there is somebody that doesn't know everything, it might be like good, good addition to team. Yeah, yeah. That's a really nice one uh, and great brainstorming technique as well. Um, then, okay, so the idea is out there. What's the process then? You just pick up a simple camera and then click record, do it, that's it? Well, usually after the idea, the next step is to think about all the uh, safety hazards, which are usually plenty. <laughs> and then after that, uh, we are going to design what kind of tools we need. The actual tools that do the crushing, they wear out pretty fast. They are really easy to break and we have to do a lot of those. And sometimes we use like force sensors and stuff like that. So we have to figure out what kind of tools we are going to use and which press we are going to use because we have the big press that has a lot of power, but it's not very precise. And then we have small press 
that doesn't have so much power but it's more precise and after we have planned all the like tools press and stuff like that then we decide when we are going to film it usually we film on sundays when we stream to twitch so we are streaming to twitch when we are filming for youtube so we are going to decide on which day we are going to film and usually we also combine video ideas that these are really similar videos so let's film these two together on that sunday and then we also uh, think about is it going to explode how fast things are going to move what cameras we need and also on that point we have like thought about all the safety things and then we also decide what kind of like safety things we need do we need like gas mask or should we get the press out and what kind of like shields we need and then just film on sunday and if everything goes well then it's one day of <coughs> or half a day of editing and so um when you have the filming one of the main questions that pops up always is uh, what cameras do you use and maybe an additional question what cameras do you use for the twitch live stream yeah we have actually i think it's pretty clever system we are using just some pretty cheap sony dslr cameras which, which a, ones from sony uh a 6400 and 6600 those are those are the cheaper versions. Why don't you go for like full frame ones? Uh, the problem with the full frame cameras is that the lenses are so expensive and heavy that if your cameras fall down or get hit, it's really easy to break lenses. But with the 6000 series, the lenses are really cheap and small because the, we don't have any protection for the cameras. They are like on the danger zone all the time. So why not put like a you know like these plastic protection the, covers? The plastic the plastic protection it scratches really easily, and it's uh. it's always and it's also if you have something exploding, and then you have protection between the camera and explosion, all the stuff that is going to fly they are going to stop on the protection and block the view, but if we don't have anything then they are going to fly past the camera. So you can <laughs> so, see longer and, and also people, people really like to see cameras get destroyed. So <laughs> because the, like the, the lenses for Sony cameras, like really good lenses, the 6,000 series, they are like 300 euros. So if we get some shrapnel fly into the lens and it's completely ruined it usually means that we are going to earn much more than the lens is worth because it's so like interesting thing for the video to get the camera hit and broken so it's like i think the it's and and also the like uh difference with the picture quality from that to something four times as expensive isn't that great it's already like good enough right right good enough and and the twitch live stream what's your setup like for that yeah we have we have the Sony cameras, we had HDMI line to all the cameras, and then we have one employee employee who is uh, choosing which camera to show to stream and also to monitor the chat, so our chat host is just switching the cameras and uh, communicating with the people watching, so... And it, what it tool do you use to switch? 
we have just simple simple HDMI switch, so just push the button and switch the cameras. And we have also wireless uh, transmitter for one one camera if you want to like stream from handheld camera, but we don't use that so much because it's again more batteries and more possible problems. We have found out that it's better to have a bit more limited like amount of options for the stream than to use too much effort for the stream and maybe lose it on YouTube. It has to be like in a way that the stream doesn't mess up with the YouTube filming. The YouTube is still like the main thing, so we try to keep it a little bit more simple. So, so you wouldn't recommend wireless transmitters for streaming? I think they are good if you have like the manpower and budget to run them in a way that the team that who is doing YouTube doesn't need to take care of those. But we have just like one person running the Twitch. So if there is problem with the wireless stuff, she can't go from the computer to fix that. So then I would need to take care of that. And then it's like away from YouTube. It's like good sized uh, uh, process for our needs. Yeah, so, sounds also very smart as to how you thought about it. And I can imagine that it's evolved over time. You didn't yeah. just pop up with all that setup. Um, how long did it take you to start getting the, this setup that you have right now? I think we bought, uh, we switched to Sony cameras about maybe two years ago. Before that, I used to just like, there is new camera model that has some function that I would like. And then I buy that camera and then I buy another camera from another brand. And it's like everything uses different batteries and is different to use and looks different. And then I got fed up with that and said that I'm going to just sell all of these and buy like four Sonys. So everything is the same. And that's that was super good decision. Why Sony? Why Sony? Uh, because the, uh, the main thing I wanted that it should be cheap enough, have good autofocus and don't need a lot of light. And the A6000 series was like all of those. Okay, makes sense. And and so yeah, sorry. Continue your story. Yeah, and then the streaming part, we just because we already had the like cameras, and then I thought that it might be good like thing to have on Twitch stream to use like proper cameras because all the like not all but most of the just chatting channels that have some like outdoor or action content, they have just mobile phone or something like that. And the picture and audio quality isn't that great. And I thought that when we already have all this good stuff for YouTube, just let's use the same things for the Twitch. So then we can get better quality than other other people have on the platform. How was it like, when did you start doing Twitch and how was it like transitioning YouTube to, well, you obviously do both, but the transition to Twitch. Oh, yeah. Can you share more about that and yeah. how it is to grow there? It's, it's about one year ago when we decided to try that also. I got actually an email from the Twitch itself, the platform, that would be like to try their platform. And I thought that it's super good idea because we were so focused on just YouTube and there is always quite large risk if you are just large on one or two platforms. It's good to get your brand on all the platforms if possible. 
and we had al also our uh, worker that we had working with us back in then he was professional twitch streamer so we had like all the knowledge on our team that we would need to start stream on twitch and we thought that it's going to be super easy that we just say that hey we have twitch channel now and go also there you can you can see the whole filming days there and like after mentioning it once we have like 10,000 people watching every every Sunday <laughs> <laughs> but, but people don't really like to change platform and also I think there is like some people have made bit bad image for tweets on YouTube because it's quite common uh, business model to have stuff on YouTube not monetize it very much and then drive people to Twitch and then try to monetize that really heavily by like making people to subscribe and donate and stuff like that. So if YouTuber says that, hey, go check us on Twitch, people have the idea that, okay, he's going to just ask money there. I'm not going to go to the Twitch. And I don't okay, like I that. I no idea. I no yeah, idea, but... I, I'm not sure is that like, but I had that idea. So that might been like limiting factor and also that the Twitch is so much like gaming platform or used to be that our viewers maybe are not so the amount of like gamers on our viewers that already had Twitch account was probably quite small so we end up only like I think we had like 10,000 followers after first month on Twitch which is still like really good amount and we were averaging like 800 viewers per stream which is really good that takes usually a lot of time to get on that level. And yeah, it's it hasn't grown super fast after that. But I think we are still like, we are still averaging around like on the good streams on Sundays, usually like 800 people. And that's still like good amount of people watching. And if it just would found like right sponsors and partners for the Twitch channel, that would be like reasonable business just to stream for like about 1000 people you can still make like four figure amount of revenue per one, per one day with that amount of people so we just need to keep doing it and try to grow and try to find like right sponsors for the Twitch channel and it's also interesting it helps on filming youtube videos because it's sometimes hard to like get really excited about something that you have done now for four years. But when there is like people watching and chatting on the stream and asking things and like getting excited, it also, it's almost like uh, doing it for live audience. So it helps to get like good mood on. And then people have usually like good ideas on the Twitch chat also, because if you have thousand people watching, that's way more ideas than just two people filming. So I found out that it helps us make to makes like make even better YouTube videos. So then um, what I didn't understand out of the stories, you said it was very hard to switch from platform to platform, but yeah. you got to 800 now. Are you using ads or something? How did you, you know, get, get it up so much? No, we, no, we just promote it on YouTube videos. For example, I, I tend to do the thing sometimes, sometimes that I uh, take video clip from our stream and show it on the video that was filmed during that stream. 
just like mentioned time and time that we have also Twitch and you should watch also there. But the, like if we have like average of like let's say like 500,000 views after two weeks on YouTube and then only thousand people watching the like live stream that's like pretty tiny portion I thought that we can bring more people like maybe 10,000 or something like that and it yeah. wasn't even so the close conversion to rates that. are a bit smaller than yeah yeah expected. yeah and so um okay so that pretty much covers the setup and and the idea the setup so now it's filmed how okay so your videos are pretty simple but still how long does the edit take is there something special you guys do in the edit uh, the press channel videos are really easy to edit because it's always the same setup same camera same lights same everything so it's it's like pretty mechanical process and also the because you have edited the video so long that if you just look for example the soundtrack of the one clip you can like edit it without even watching it. You know that there is the press sound there I'm talking, cut from there and there and throw it on the timeline and it's done. It's like... It's, and so it's pretty much the same process and yes, yeah, everybody yeah. edits or only one person edits? Uh, we have the system that on the press channel, my wife, Anni, she puts everything on timeline. So the video is like rough cut is done and everything even remotely interesting is there and that takes usually like about one hour to get on that point then i watch video once and cut everything unrelated away and maybe do some voiceovers and add some numbers and stuff like that and after that i watch it once more to check is does it make any sense and also i put some like adjustment layers for the picture quality and fix the sound and stuff like that how and i you, i use how did you learn to do all of that i i just watched youtube videos <laughs> that's a great one no, yeah great. I, I i i'm using premiere pro because it's like the most common editing program and there is the most amount of youtube tutorials for that that's great yeah that's a good one great um and um so you guys don't use mac you use windows pretty much yeah yeah and I mean, I, I can uh, recommend, obviously we have a video agency that's six years old now. Uh, we do recommend Apple. Uh, and the reason why is I used to do everything on Windows. I was a Windows fan. Yeah. Didn't like Apple at all. Um, and I think two, two years in or something, I just pretty much gave up, uh, switched everything in the office to MacBooks. So like interns get MacBooks from us and then new employees get MacBooks. Um, and the reason why is we just noticed that um, Mac renders much faster, crashes less. Um, yeah. It just seems a bit smoother. So yeah, we yeah, do recommend that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when we started, the Premiere Pro, Pro it crashed a lot. And the fact that makes it even worse that we film everything in 4K because oh, yeah. it's, it's, it faster, it's, it's much faster to film when you don't have to think so much how you are going to frame it. And it's also because we have no idea what is going to happen. So we have no idea how to frame it. So everything is in 4K. And on Beyond the Press channel, we might have six cameras running at the same time. And also the high speed cameras and everything. So it's super hard for computer. But then I, it's part of Premiere Pro getting better. And then I realized that 
I need to throw a lot of money on computer. We have like 5,000 euro editing rigs that we are using. And uh, now everything works super well and it's super fast to render and it doesn't crash anymore when you have like more more than enough memory and more than enough everything. And also we use proxy files to edit because if you have six 4K MP4 video files, nothing is going to run that on the timeline. <laughs> so we do proxy files of everything and that helps also a lot. Did you not get really interested in, for instance, the the... A year ago or something like that, Apple came out with that uh, cheese grater uh, Mac desktop. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was super interesting. But the uh, only problem is that uh, uh, to get similar performance that my 5,000 euro computer does, I need to throw like 20,000 there. So it's... Jesus. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, okay, so... You know, that's the editing process, um, the most interesting process and obviously where your expertise lies a little bit and what, what you're doing now um, as on your social media um, comes the promotion process. And we kind of covered it in the beginning already, but I would like to kind of maybe go a little bit deeper. Uh, you've already covered uh, the fact that, you know, when you have a video, you use discovery. Do you still use discovery for the big channel? No, it's there is like... YouTube is really good platform to get a lot of views because there is like, there is a lot of people and then the algorithm works really well, especially for the last, let's say nine months it has been really good. So it's, if you, if you have like at least thousand people watching and you know what you are doing, it's really easy to grow, grow stuff on YouTube really fast. So for the big channel, it's. Now the main thing is to get like interesting videos, like the video idea has to be really good. That's the like main thing. And the video idea has to be good in a way that you can describe the idea in one sentence and the thumbnail picture. And people are going to realize that, holy shit, that's like interesting and really good wide video. I want to see that. So when we think about videos, we always, the first thing after the idea, we think what is going to be the title and thumbnail, because it doesn't matter how good video you have, if you can't sell the idea with the video title and thumbnail, nobody's going to click that. So the, like the most important thing after the getting good idea is to come up with a good title and thumbnail. And it's also much easier to first decide the title and thumbnail and then do the video according to those than to first do the video and then try to come up with title and thumbnail that are like honest about the video and also easy to click. So we always first think how we are going to sell the idea to viewers and then do video according to those plans. And so when you have the thumbnail and title on your main channel, can you maybe give an example of what is like good uh, or what you use that you knew like, okay, this is going to be good? Yeah, there's, uh, I would say that there's three styles that we have. One is just some like random one-off ideas or like style of, styles of title and thumbnail, just like really cool and interesting things. And then the second is like, 
question type of title, how strong is going to something be, or can you do something with the press, or can something survive something. And then the third one is something that sounds really dangerous and something that nobody should never do. And the, like the <laughs> dangerous stuff is the best one. That's the like, that gets, gets the most views. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Okay, and so let's put that into contrast with a small channel because you have both contrasts going yeah. on. So, you know, so what is different in a small channel? So you said when you just started... Okay, when you just start, do you um, upload a bunch of videos and then run ads? So one video every day, or do you upload one or two videos and just run ads on those videos? So how, how does the process work there? So the, uh, we have the YouTube AdSense ads there on every video. And then the ads that we sell ourselves, like sponsored segments on the videos, like the this video is sponsored by NordVPN, then we talk about NordVPN for like 60 seconds on the end of the video or something like that. How do you uh, get a deal with NordVPN? They reach out to you or how, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, the brands usually. I think, I think there's different styles, but we have just been doing our thing and then companies send email to us that we would yeah. like to promote on your channel. Are you interested in our product and what you what would be the price and then it goes from there and when a company reaches out like that do they already have a set price or you tell them or there's negotiation room even with like a company like nordvpn usually companies ask how much is your average how much is your rate for this kind of sponsored video then you come up with some price and then they usually try to get it lower and you try to get it higher and then you agree on something so Okay, maybe a tip if that happens to one of our listeners. When they ask that, you said a range was between a thousand and ten thousand dollars, and if you're an influencer, forty thousand. Do you actually then say, even though you've never had a sponsor, do you then say like ten thousand, uh, or because I can imagine some people thinking, oh, maybe that's too high, and then they don't want to do it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. Uh... In Finland, some if Finnish company asks price for something and then you say something that's much higher than they would th think, usually it just stops there. You are not going to ever hear anything about them. But I have found out that like the companies that do a lot of advertising on YouTube channels, it really doesn't matter what number you throw there. Even sometimes I have been like some small company probably haven't done with so large creators they have some idea what it would cost and then i try to always go a bit high so i can have some room to <laughs> come down or something and it might be that they return something that is only like one fifth or even less from my price so you don't have to be so worried that if you throw too high number and i always try to like try to compare it to our price to situation where they have to themselves make some kind of ad video and then buy AdSense ads for that video. You, because you have rough idea how much you are getting paid from YouTube and what is the YouTube's cut. So you know how much it would cost to run that video on before, you, before your YouTube video as an AdSense ad. And then 
they would have to produce the video somewhere. So I, I, I tend to use that as an like uh, tool to <laughs> prove that my price is good to like, so that if you try to buy this from YouTube, then it's going to be more expensive for you. So you should take my price. That's a, that's a really good way to explain it. And I think what you covered there is, we've been covering it with a couple of uh, past guests as well, but it's just a mindset of, I guess, I don't think it's just Finland. I think it's also Europe because I've had that um, as well. And I've heard that, that here in the Netherlands as well, if you mention a price that is too high, it's just, it cuts off the, the whole negotiations. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to know that, you know, the people that actually do understand how it works, um, you have to leave some negotiation room and that goes both ways. If you're a new creator, you probably want, you want to have negotiation room yeah. and you don't want to go, you know, low from the beginning. Um, and at the same time, you want to know your worth and, and you kind of give a really good formula to, yeah. to give that worth. So th that's really smart. I like that. Um, but so, okay, so we're back to the small channel then. Um, let's leave the sponsors away We're we're now trying to grow it so would you advise um you know th there's different strategies that i've heard i've heard the one strategy where you know a new um startup or a new influencer is getting up and they hear this advice um which i've heard as well upload every day at least make sure your seo is good and stuff like that and then there's you know the other camp which is just no a cup one once a week or something like that and and you can run ads on every single video or something like that what, what would your take be uh every single day a video and only the key videos with ads like you said uh or one video a week and or one video a month and just run ads on on that one video yeah it's like uh it changes a lot by how the what type of content you have and how much people want to use time on that and how much you can produce with the high quality. For example, when we started, people really want to see the press videos and they were easy to make. So the fastest way to grow was to make video every day and get 2 million views and like 20,000 new subscribers every day. And there was also a lot of competition because people were copying our idea. And we decided to outwork everybody, just do way more than anybody else. And we decided that we are not going to take any rest before we have 1 million subscribers. So we grinded two months like non-stop work to get to the 1 million subscribers. <laughs> but then the beyond the press channel, because it's the stuff that people want to see. It's almost like same kind of stuff that you might have on TV show. So you can't produce it every day. And right. then if you start to do something easier, people don't really want to see that. They want to see the big stuff. So we actually switched about four months ago that we do only like two or three videos per month there to keep sure that, that people watch every video. You have to, the best possible situation is where all the viewers watch all the videos because then the YouTube really starts to like the channel you have really good click-through rate and view times and everything and then YouTube recommends your videos to way more people but if you have the situation where you have only like 10% of subscribers watching each video then YouTube starts to think that 
this channel this isn't very good anymore and I'm not going to recommend this to people. So you should upload as often as and, possible. And is it like Instagram where you can delete your videos once you've uploaded it to make sure that your average goes up? No, you should you should leave them up because the like on YouTube the like videos keep getting lot of views for a long time. It doesn't die off like on Instagram. For example, we have one video on Hydraulic Press Channel that we released on March and it gets every day 100,000 views. Every day from March to here. Every day 100,000 views. So, But that, and, that's an established, you know, as an established channel and then you're getting yeah. views. But we're talking now about small channels where you release it and you might get like one or two views. And yeah, but we have. Is, yeah. yeah, but it, it works for the small channels also. Because some of the first videos on Beyond the Press channel, which were done when the channel was quite small, they also still get views. And also same on the Hydraulic Press channel. So it's like, and it, it doesn't hurt the new videos to have the old ones still out. But uh, what, uh, with the... Yeah, what if, uh, sorry to go on about this, but I, I've seen many companies... Um, like start this and all these questions arise and then it's always like you don't really know but um if you release every day a video and four months pass right we're talking now about i know what it is exactly but probably like 200 videos already of which you know just a couple have a thousand views and some have like five views uh, and you just said that the algorithm will think that your channel will not be very good then yeah it's the you can you should release as often as you can while still getting all the or like the most viewers watching most of the vid videos. So if you if you can make good video every day and all the viewers watch it, that's like really good. But if you find out that your views start to go down, then you it might be probably good idea to try to do little less videos and use little bit more effort per one video and see if the views go up because it's 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 much better to have like fewer videos with lot of views than huge amount of videos where some of the videos get lot of views and that's also if you want to get like sponsored videos that's also really important because on the hydraulic press channel if you look like half a year behind on the videos almost all of them have at least half a million views but for beyond the press channel it used to be that we might have some video that gets 30,000 views and then the next video gets million views and there isn't like any number that kind of can like promise to company that okay if you promote your product here I can deliver this amount of views guaranteed so if you want to get like sponsored videos then you have to like keep it pretty evenly performing quite well all the time and not have like huge swings around all around the place yeah I, ha I have to say that that is by far the most comprehensive answer i've received on that because i've also even um talked with youtube about this um when i was invited to um their offices in switzerland um and and every time i kept hearing you know once a week is fine just make sure you know that that it's a good video but they never explained what a good video means and i think that you've really covered it by saying you know making sure that 
similar views as all of your videos keeps growing and don't have like videos with super little views versus really high views um that yeah that really covers it um i like that um when uploading the video um you do you know the ads 20 euro a day um do you do multiple ads no 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 that's just the ads is just for the tiny channels that we are trying to grow now on the main channel yeah. we don't have to run anything no because... no but i'm talking about yeah. the, the small channel we're still yeah, on the yeah. small channel uh, so yeah yeah you do you do that um for do you do multiple variations or it's literally just discovery ad on this one video um and is there something else that you do outside of the thumbnail and the title title yeah. for that video yeah i have to say that i'm not super expert on uh, running the ads i haven't done that so much yet i have i'm still like uh, trying that out but uh, on the small channel i have the ads and i usually try with the different videos and different targeting and different budgets and stuff like that but then one thing that uh, i do and i have even complained about it to youtube that they should have more tools on that because when you have to like, usually you have, I have like couple title ideas and maybe three uh, thumbnail ideas. And I put the ones that are best in my mind there. And then I release the video and I check like 15 minutes how the, how the video is doing. And I have like the feeling that this is about like this level of idea and the video is like, it's like pretty good. I have quite good like feeling how much it should get views and if it doesn't get that amount of views I might change the title and the uh, thumbnail after like 15 minutes and then keep the new one there like 15 minutes and then see how they do and if they perform better then I keep the ones that I changed there and if they are worse then I put the original back in and I have been complaining to YouTube that they should have like AP testing for titles and thumbnails that you could put like five different titles and thumbnails and then it would run those like two hours and then pick up the best one for the rest of the lifetime of the video because now it's a lot of like a uh, lot of work there to make sure that your video is being clicked well because it's like it's usually like tens of hours of work and quite what's money in 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 that one video and then it's mostly about how good your title is how what kind of revenue you're going to get back your back for your investment so now it, there isn't very good tools to make sure that you are doing the last step right so yeah, yeah. It that's makes sense. I, I honestly didn't even know about that part but it makes so much sense because that's exactly what's happening on instagram you publish a picture or like like uh, models do that as well where they publish a picture they don't like it from that angle, delete it, publish another yeah. picture. So I, I didn't even think about doing that on YouTube. What we did do is like change thumbnails throughout like weeks or something yeah. like that. I never thought about it doing it in the first hour. And it has changed it now a little bit because it used to be that if your uh, video doesn't get the clicks on the beginning, maybe your idea is a bit too hard to understand. And if it, if it didn't work on the first day, it didn't work. But now somehow the YouTube algorithm has get getting a lot better. And now we have had a couple of videos that are a bit more technical and harder to understand. And we release them and they perform quite badly. 
but then it takes about like one week and the click-through rate can go from like five percent to 15 percent on that one week and then the video starts to get a lot of views so youtube somehow like learns better that okay this is this type of kind of video and i should show this to these people and then when after like one week the youtube has found out the right audience for the video then it starts to really get views so it, it isn't so like bad thing nowadays if if it doesn't get really good start there's still hope that's uh, I really like that part. Is there something else you would share with the audience? I mean, we've pretty much covered all of it, but is there something else you would uh, say, maybe some wisdom, some tips um, for the audience listening in, starting with YouTube that, you know, only at your level, you looking back uh, would advise them? Hmm. Maybe at this point, it's like the, because we have done so long this that the YouTube algorithm has changed really many times and it's hard to say when it's like about normal like changes on people watching and time of the year and one it's about that YouTube has changed all world has changed and you should change also I think we have been like bit too slow to change if something isn't working in like if something doesn't work for two months, then it's time to change it. We have been doing like too long things that used to work and don't change fast enough. I think that's like, that's the like, probably the main thing that I would change. Anything um, else, maybe business related that you would share looking back? Mm. Maybe they like, because they like social social media or YouTube as a business. It's interesting because if you have like good branded large account, you can generate quite large amount of revenue with relatively small effort, especially if you just do some like vlogging or something like that. But then the problem is that uh, if you do just YouTube videos and make money from them, you have one product and one customer. So that's not like not not very good business model but then the like it's really hard to come up with other business models that generate as good as revenue as that does does and i think we use it have used probably too much time on trying to spread our brand and doing other types of business adventures with the youtube than just putting all the time on content creation and making like growing the accounts and making more revenue while it's like easy. I think, I think we should be more focused on the one thing where we are good at. But after like, of course, when you have done it like many years, you don't have to be so worried that if it stops, because you should have like quite a lot of savings and if it does it work anymore? Then you have plenty of time to figure out something new. So nowadays we don't do so much other things than just make content for YouTube and other platforms. Maybe a good segue into our segment. We always have a segment at this uh, uh, podcast um, called the crash and burn segment. Um, and uh, it's the question is then, what are your biggest failures that you didn't expect? And what did you learn from it? Mm. 
be. Could okay, be, maybe. Yeah. Okay, one good like fail was the. Uh, I I have been watching the slow mo slow mo guys the channel that does just slow mo videos, and I always have thought that they have really good like concept and really good brand and everything works really nicely, and. Then I think I bought I bought cheap thermal camera that you can plug into your phone, and I made couple videos with that, or had it as a part of couple videos, and people really liked that. And then I realized, holy shit, thermal guys or something like that. We are going to we are going to do YouTube channel just about thermal cameras, copy everything about slow mo guys, just use thermal cameras, and I used way too much time on that. We did like filmed like 10 videos before releasing any and then we released like three videos and realized that that slow-mo slow-mo guys works because it's like really easy to understand and it's really like it's easy content to just show the thing and people understand what's going on but the thermal cameras they are much more complicated than people thought and they don't understand the things that are happening on the picture so it's end up being really technical and complicated and really slow to produce and all kinds of bad things and we we like thought that it's so great idea and of course it's going to work and we used a huge amount of time on that before actually testing the concept but but then we realized pretty soon after releasing like maybe four videos that, okay, this is not going to work. We have to just stop here. But that how took still you, too long time. How did you realize it? And maybe also how do you test concepts? Okay, because uh, the first video that we released, it was filming cats with thermal camera. And that worked because they like room where we filmed the cats and the cats they were like pretty much the same temperature so there wasn't anything too crazy or complicated happening on the filming side and cats go there and then you can see the like the places where they have walk and everything nice on the video and it was super good video and it it got like 200,000 views and I didn't use my large channels to promote it. I just throw it into Reddit and it did really well there. And we got like maybe 10,000 subscribers. So the start was really good. The cat video was really good. And then all of the rest videos, every video after, every new video, it was worse and worse after each other. So the channel got like, we had just the one easy thing that we filmed and everything from there was just downhill. And it, and also it was every video was harder and harder to make because things were just getting more and more complicated. So we figured out that the results are going down and effort is going up. So it's it's not going to it's not going to work out. I mean, at the same time, two hundred thousand views is a lot. So why not? I know continue. A lot of channels don't even get that. Yeah, but it was like because it was we were. We were like, we had to compare it to other things that we can do. If we... Oh, uh, so from all the projects out there, it wasn't the most Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, yeah, because the, I, I thought that it's going to be so easy and good to make that I just like, my idea was that I'm going to just start it and then I'm going to hire people to run it for me. But we, and also they like, 
hiring people to like run YouTube channel for you in Finland, it's quite expensive. So it has to like get pretty good amount of views to make any sense. And it, it, it wasn't looking possible. Yeah. And so you mentioned testing concepts. How would you test concepts with your experience now? I would do like just like one or two videos that are easy to do and test. Because if we would do done like just the cat video and couple others, like maybe two or three videos, we would probably see that okay the cat video was pretty good and then the next videos didn't perform that well. And we might have tried still with couple videos, but wouldn't be so deep into it. So just don't use too much time on the like. I, I would say that it's like, I think there is some, is there some like fail fast type of like yes, ways to think, think, think about things. That's, I think that's like, so it's kind the of way like starting, I think. starting a new business, throwing yeah, it out yeah. there before it's even ready, seeing how yeah, the yeah, audience yeah, responds. Yeah, 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 and it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the same with the business. You don't want to like, if your like business model model is, is not sure, is it going to generate any revenue with like million people or something like that? And it's like really hard to grow, but you could test, test it with like hundred people. It's probably a good idea to test with like hundred people before investing like millions of euros there if it's and with youtube it's e it's like much easier to test things than with like business models it's like then uh, maybe the the next segment um as we're kind of also going into that one you know the the name of the podcast is impact talks so we have an impact story segment and then um the question that always pops up is about your impact story and and the question is then, um, what is the project you worked on that had the biggest impact? Hmm, that's that's quite hard question because this is like it's quite hot topic in Finland. Like uh, they, I think people used to think that every YouTuber and every like who is creating content for social media, they tend to use word influencer about everybody in Finland and every and all the like people on the scene think that every have body have huge influence but our content is a bit interesting because it's like content creation people don't care so much what we think or do so it's hard to say like that our videos have huge impact maybe the one thing that that's uh, I hope that it has positive impact because the press stuff it's just like uh fun, easy content. It's like a bit like fast food of YouTube. It really doesn't have that much of impact rather than like maybe help people over like hard times on their life to have something like really simple and easy to watch that doesn't stress you out. We, we, we make, we use a lot of time to make, make sure that it's not like stressful, like other parts of the internet might be. For example, we didn't have anything corona-related on any any of our channels just to give like break for people from that. But uh, I think some of the stuff on Beyond the Press channel have probably like been quite good information about work safety because we tend to like try to get first first possible like work accidents tested. 
For example, we made one video where we exploded like grinder discs and they were super dangerous and I had like huge amount of comments that okay, I put my quart back on the grinder and I used the like proper face masks. So I think I think that's probably the like highest impact of like informing people about like dangers and also getting them inspired to like do a bit like I would say that we do some some of our stuff is a bit like science and maybe it like pushes people to like uh, science type of stuff. I would hope so. I like that. Have you ever had people actually come up to... Does that actually happen to you? Because obviously you're a Finnish creator and, and your face isn't really on your channel. But do people know who you are? Do they come up to you? Yeah, it happens like maybe twice a month. Really? That people, people come to like take picture with me or talk but, about the channel how would they know if they'd never seen your face on on the on the channel? they can they can see on the second channel people see see okay. us and sometimes also on the press channel but it's like uh, i would say that quite many people like recognize recognize us but they don't want to bother us bother us on the supermarket and stuff like that it's a bit different a couple of my friends has like uh, have Finnish speaking YouTube channel that is aimed for like kids and teenagers and that's like uh, for example one of my friends they ha he has half a million subscribers Finnish, Finnish channels mainly for like teenagers so it, that's like every teenager in Finland so that's that's pretty rough <laughs> because it's like every every time everybody is like hey there is that guy going check check out so I'm I'm pretty pleased that our viewers are like across the world and most like adults. So they know that maybe Lauri doesn't want to be bothered all the time when he's at the supermarket or something. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, cool, cool story as well. Um, maybe a question outside of business that we always ask our speakers as well is uh, what are you currently doing or learning that is not related to business? So something outside of business um, that gives you energy? Mm. Maybe the main thing now is the fact that we are uh, moving to new place and the house is next to the large lake. And I'm trying to learn like boat stuff and also like countryside stuff for example there's a couple trees that i should cut down and i have been watching like tutorial videos how to cut trees down with a chainsaw without getting yourself killed so <laughs> i'm like hyped up about learning like countryside stuff now do you feel maybe that's a question that pops up for me but do you feel like as your youtube channel grows um that you have more time or less time because i've I've noticed you said you work also on Sundays and stuff like that. So yeah. how does your schedule look like? Uh, I would say that we have now much more time than we used to have on the beginning because the first year, I think I averaged like probably 60 hours work weeks. So like I just, I didn't do anything else than work and also some sports that was like everything. And now we have figured out that we don't have to do these all other business things with the YouTube because we can trust that the YouTube is going to continue and it's the like best business model for us. So we don't we don't do so much other things like 
live shows that machine fairs or something like that. So that's thing, one thing that we don't do so much like unrelated stuff. And then because the channels are growing and especially the amount of revenue that we can make, it's, it's growing like the ad prices are going up every year. So we use now like outside uh, filming guy and editing guy for the second channel and I tend to order more parts ready made and not make everything myself. So I can use more money to buy more time for myself. That's the like. I think I, I'm not sure do I even do like so much work because quite much of that I do like answering comments and getting video ideas like feels like hobby for me. I would say that I'm doing maybe four to five hours work per week now. So completely reasonable. And we have also now we have like real four week summer holiday coming. So. I would say that it's it this isn't isn't like everything that I do now, but it used to be. What uh, what else has it uh, given you? Maybe has it given you more mental peace as well, or do you feel like you're constantly on um, to create the next idea? Yeah, it's because it used to be really bad for the like first couple of years because. The views go always like this up and down on YouTube and when you don't have real long history and the views keep going down it's it's easy to start to think that okay my YouTube career was here and it's going to all end now but after like four years seeing things go up and down if we have like four months without any viral videos and views are a bit down I'm not too worried because I have seen that like million times before and I, I'm pretty sure that it's going to go back up so I don't have to be so worried about always getting billion views every month and then of course it's now easier when we have more savings if it if it stops for some reason or we make mistake or something like that I know that I'm like I'm in good position to find out some new work related to YouTube and things that I have learned that I'm I'm like I'm like in good position even if the our YouTube channels go wrong for some reason. Yeah. Uh, can you maybe explain a little bit more about the cycle that you talked about? Uh, I've never heard of it. Obviously you have your four year track record so yeah. I mean I've never heard of a four month dip and then like how yeah, does it's, that work exactly? Yeah, I think I think it depends on your audience, but we have found out that on the summer, for some reason, nobody watches our videos. <laughs> the, the, like summer is completely dead every time. And then it picks up for the winter and like and also the like I would say that the after August, August it starts to get better and then it's good up to maybe July. Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm a bit bad. I almost forgot the like months in English, but it's like the four months on the summer, they are really quiet and rest of the year is pretty good. And then end of the year is really good in terms of uh, ad prices. The like Christmas and Black Friday and also probably that the year is ending and everybody has to use their marketing budget that they have left that traces the ad prices a lot 
for end of the year and then January the ad prices are like really low and when you have seen all of that every year you kind of know to accept that and you don't worry that people don't watch on the summer and you don't worry that the, you don't make any money on January so but How I think you... it's like it's Sorry. different for every channel I have heard that the Finnish channels do really well on the summer but I think our videos are watched uh, on the workplaces and when the people are at holiday and not working, they're not watching our videos. Yeah, that maybe. would make sense, actually. Yeah. How did it make you... Uh, just Obviously, mental fortitude is something that gets brought up a lot uh, within startups as well, companies. It's something I'm very proud of that we talk about. But um, what you are describing feels very much like that first year as a startup compared to, you know, now you're a four-year business, you know, if you compare that to a child, you'd be going into kindergarten now. So yeah. you're speaking probably and everything. But so that first year, how did you deal with that? What did you do? And yeah, can you describe that? Yeah, the first year it was, and it was really rough for my, it was much worse for my wife because she had like job that she really likes and it's like regular job so you have to like quit your job and then they're going to hire somebody else there so it was much harder for her to make the decision that we are now going to be youtubers and we are going to do that the fact that made it easy or like easier was that the first couple of months were so so good and we didn't have like really high paying jobs me or my wife and we made like in first two months, we made the same amount of money that we usually make in one year. So the money was just so good that even if we can only like make half a year that amount of money and then it stops, it would be still worth it. And we can, we are going to have enough savings to figure out what we are going to do if this fails. So we already had the like the, like the, money side was like makes sense and then you have to just like take the risk and the like pain of changing your life bit around to suit your new job but but so how did you deal then with the dip around the summer in that first year uh, the first year it was like the thing was still trending when the summer hit so on the first summer we didn't have the dip because it was so new and like good idea still new fancy idea to cross things but then the second year the summer was really rough it was we were really worried and we tried to views went down and we thought that we need more views and we made more videos and then they weren't really good and the views went even more down and it was it was rough but so how did you get out of that or yeah no then then, then it was just that the people came back from summer holidays and started to watch again videos and everything was good and then when the same thing happened next year then we thought okay this is like yearly thing that the summer is going to suck and every year after that we have already like got used to it and it's like and now this year it feels like really good because the views have been been views are been really good on the summer so it feels almost weird that whole that we are doing really well. The views are like almost okay, <laughs> even if it's on the summer. But I think the like the whole Corona thing is probably messing up with this summer. I think because all the countries haven't opened up yet. So I think yeah. 
people are still inside. Yeah, yeah, inside. Working on their remote jobs. Yeah. Um, maybe a last question that I have um, as we're about to wrap up is, uh, do you read books or do you have interesting books that you can recommend to our listeners? Uh, I, I listen quite much audio books. I, I yeah. don't have super much time to like sit down and read book, but I do quite a lot of like sim- simple manual tasks like drive car or build something that I can listen something while I'm doing that. And that so what be. books would you recommend? Mm, I used to listen a lot of like business and like more fancier books and now have just been listening some like sci-fi books but uh, what I would recommend I think if you are interested on like social media stuff and for some reason you haven't read the uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's book those are actually really good so and even the old ones they have aged quite well I would I would probably go through those those are like those are like really good. What did you learn out of those books that you apply? Uh, maybe the main thing that I learned that I have accidentally done most of the things right. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the, it was like huge relief that I haven't, that there wasn't anything that I haven't like thought and done on the books. That was like a good thing. And it's like, there's quite same thinking that I have on those books. Do you do you recommend any other books maybe or maybe even sci-fi books that uh, uh, what was I don't I have to think about what was the series name I don't remember the book series name but there is the what is the name of the book series I mean if you can't come on it you can always send it and we can put it in the description Yeah I I I'm going to send it but I I'm going to send the series I finished it like one year ago and it was really cool. I, I'm going to send it. It's it's the best series that I have. Nice. I have listened. So for the for the business minded people, Gary Vaynerchuk, and then for the others, uh, we'll put the sci-fi book series yeah. in the description. Anything? Last thoughts? Maybe red carpet rolled out. If you want to promote something, um, and any last thoughts you want to share with the listeners? We used to do quite much of things where we did like crossing and then talking on the schools and it's quite pro- it's probably like the one of the most common things that kids nowadays would like to be is like social media influencer or content creator and i think everybody feels like they want should make a lot of content and everybody should make be a like content creator and the i always say to everybody it's actually really hard to be successful on this and the uh, like because the, at least at this point, the amount of views that you need to make this like as a like business, like good business model, it's so so large that there isn't simply enough people for many 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 people to do this. So if you don't success on this, don't take it too like seriously and uh, don't put too much effort in. And if you have like it's better to start this as a hobby than try to make it business in like one night. I would that that's like because especially on the streaming side there is some pretty bad stories about people that like really much want to be like streamer and use like four years of their life and it doesn't go somewhere. So 
Make it as an hobby and then if it starts to go really well, then turn it to business. Yeah, it's a really good advice. I like that. Um, any last thoughts outside of that? Anything else uh, to say? Maybe where can they see you and see more of you? Yeah, YouTube, Hydraulic Pressel and Beyond the Press. And then our vlog channel is my wife's name. It's Anni Vuohensilta. Anni runs more of that channel. And then all other platforms, Hydraulic Press channel, Twitch, Instagram. Nice. The usual. Yeah, yeah. the Beyond the Press channel is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But okay, then that's it. Thank you so much for coming on the yeah, podcast. Thanks. The things I've learned honestly were very, very practical. I loved um, the explanations you gave, the practicality behind it, but also how much you shared. I think our listeners can probably get a lot out of it. I know I have. Um, but thank you so much for uh, coming on to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. It was nice to talk. If you like this episode, you can check out our most recent one here. And if you haven't already, make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one. But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.